Computer, initialize Holosuite. And welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're going to do our Season 2 recap. But before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Absolutely, and as I say every week, you can find us and follow us anywhere that you do social media, in particular Facebook and Twitter, again, as The Fire Caves. Now, as David said, tonight we are going to be doing a recap of Season 2, but also of what we just know so far about Deep Space Nine, and we have a special guest hey, joining us how's to it join going, guys? with this and other Trek conversations. Yeah, I'm good. My best I'm friend, Lynn. Good. I'm glad to be down here in Texas with my best friend. great. Days. How are you? It's been a long time. <laughs> yes and melting I, I, through this and i live in wisconsin yes melting so, through this heat wave yeah, that we've no, got this never-ending heat wave that we seem to be suffering from. oh mm-hmm. wow yeah <laughs> yeah you yeah, came we at were... a particularly bad time this time around <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> epically bad energy crisis drought and then extreme oh no i come so, to texas at least twice a year oh, but man. the other time of have the you year, been to texas before or is this your first time so coming here still a little toasty but it's mild it's oh. manageable right <laughs> yeah nice and yeah yes yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's livable. It's when Texas is tolerable. Mm-hmm. And then, provided we don't get freak snowstorms that, that Wisconsin, walk the city into a state of emergency, me, so. yeah. it's yeah. Um, yeah, pretty great yeah. otherwise. Oh, lovely. Woohoo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, I, I kind of miss that. You know, growing up in, in Kentucky, we got snow like that on occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. it hasn't really happened here. Now we just get like mm-hmm. ice. And it just blocks everything. Yeah. So yeah, that's a that's the other problem. But yeah, other than that, not bad. <laughs> so yes, Lynn is going to be our special guest today. Going to be talking about um, our favorite three captains. We're going to get to that later on, of course. Um, but before we dive into all that, David, how's your week been? Oh, work's been fine. It's been uh, a little crazy. I have a story i meant to tell you earlier i'll have to tell you another time i won't get to it over here it was just one of those situations where you just end up rolling your eyes and just have to move on um the work's been fine got back on my bike again for the first time in like a month because of the heat you know i hadn't ridden it in a while um still looking at moving might have found a nice option hopefully that works out but for the moment still have to really kind of wait because just all that in between time between now, David, you know, actually you signing live? and are you in Texas you know, moving or? in, they want you to do that like right on top of each other. So oh, still gotta wait okay, I'm sorry if that. I missed that. I'm sorry, but yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm here in Austin as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, not at all. Yeah, Perry and I used to be coworkers, so we uh, yeah, we we know each other that way, and so yeah, I've actually 
Uh, it's been a little while since, well, actually a couple months back, uh, right before our mm-hmm. season one recap, the two episodes before that, we actually tried recording in the same, uh, at Perry's place. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. The The sound was yeah. terrible. Mm-hmm. I apologize to anyone who's still listening after that. But uh, yeah, no, I... We had uh, some mic issues, mic difficulties that yeah, night. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was a mess. In fact, uh, so I live fairly close to the store that Perry and I used to work mm-hmm. at together. And we keep talking about we need to go there because it's now a restaurant. It's a wings and pizza place. We need to go there and have dinner and just reminisce um, and just look around and just, you know, compare. Remark on the times. Yeah, how yeah. this place is now a restaurant, but there was a there used to be a dead rat in one of the walls. And <laughs> the, the bugs that rained from the ceiling and the flooding that happened that ruined countless thousands okay. of merchandise. <laughs> Yeah, yes. and how they've changed it now <laughs> to a eatery to of there. sorts. So <laughs> hopefully, they they addressed all those issues. Yeah, it was a it was a whole other story. Oh, <laughs> we had, yeah, David and I definitely bonded over the fact that we were kind of like stuck in this place that was just yeah. falling apart, and we were fully expected to like bring up this level of management. Mm. I was like, you've given us a dumpster fire. Like yeah. how in the world okay. are we supposed to take care of all this? You know? So yeah. So Lynn, I'm going to, I'm going to quickly test your Perry knowledge. Mm. What is Perry's Uh-oh. favorite TV show? Mm, I don't know. It depends on when you talk to him. Cause Battle sometimes Star he gets Galactic, on a Battlestar yeah. Galactic yeah. Kick yeah. And, or he'll be on a Star Trek. Kick well, he's on an ER so, kick. So, so t- <laughs> <laughs> That's, true. That's true. I keep getting texts so many people from, from Star Trek. Are Chris up Pine was in He's ER before Star Trek. Yes, before Star. So Trek. yes. So. <laughs> so as I as I found out, because yes, as as we said on several episodes of the show now, uh, I have obviously a fascination with the '90s, and so when I found ER and how you know, prevalent it was throughout the 90s, of course, I was just like fascinated and wanted to figure out why it was so popular. But um, yeah, literally everybody who was on any major TV show or even movie throughout the past like 20 years was on ER. I found everybody. Don Cheadle was there. Katie Sackhoff was there. Chris Pine is there. Nick Offerman, Sally Field. I mean, you just, it's just like a host, just go down the line and they were there forget the hollywood and, star if you appeared in yeah. er that was your actual you made it yeah. <laughs> and then as i um i was doing the you know doing the math and looking at you know the the show's run and i figured out that the show started mm-hmm. when i was eight years old and ran until i graduated college <laughs> it's the last episode aired in 2009 same year i graduated yeah. so it's just like it was on literally the, all of my developmental years, and I completely missed it until you know now I'm coming back all these years the later pagers, and watching. It. So it's, it's fascinating, yeah. <laughs> and then just seeing them do things like use a payphone, mm-hmm. or everybody who wears the pagers, the wearing of trench coats, the smoking in in all the different areas, like all these things that we just don't do anymore at all. I find it fascinating. So I. Yeah, if you know of any like long-running dramas from the '90s, send them my way because it's like Hope? it's a it's a study in and of its own self, you know. <laughs> and it's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. No, I didn't, but we did. Mm-hmm. I did briefly talk about how it was like it was the show that for a while was the competition for ER, 
um, two doctor mm-hmm. dramas set in Chicago. Um, Chicago Hope started a little bit after mm-hmm. ER, and but and then it didn't run for nearly as long. I think it only ran for like maybe eight or nine seasons. So, so yeah, it was um, right. an interesting time for that. TV, and then we never really got mm-hmm. away from that either. The the yeah. doctor procedural has been around. The doctor drama has been around, yeah, for right. a while. Well, the reason I asked you about Battlestar Galactica, Lynn, was because that's what Perry, you know, he got me into that while we were uh, working together. Uh, but the, one of yep. the first memories I have with Perry is there was a time uh, we were, uh, Perry was making a call. We were going to make a donation, charitable donation from our business. And uh, we had to wait through some hold music. And we got into thinking about what is this hold music like the theme song for? What TV show could this be a theme song for? And right then and there, we started theorizing on a, on a TV show, what would it be like? And uh, we then started watching, like, you know, the Marvel these, TV yes. shows together. And there's one mm-hmm. moment, we've talked about it here, yeah. where uh, Perry predicted what was going to happen like 10 seconds before it did. One of those fun moments. Um, that so, just yeah. goes from watching way too much television and being able to, like, pick up on the beats of the episode and being like, okay, whatever they're looking for. Because I remember <laughs> that it was like, whatever they're looking for, it's in the piano. Yep. And then. Boom! They went, and that's where that's exactly where it was. It's like, well, they everything. It was too obvious. They featured it too prominently in the yeah. scene. Yeah. They d- talked about it too much. It was there. You yeah. Know? But yeah, we we ended up watching a bunch of shows during those long hours of doing nothing. <laughs> um, you know. But yeah, that's that's definitely how. And then David basically became the default person who, whenever I had something about mm-hmm. Battlestar or Star Trek or whatever. David got all of the, you know, the venting that I was doing <laughs> behind that thing. So, but Lynn was there before you. She caught all that stuff too. She was, Star Trek. I mean, that's yeah. actually Lynn. I think we bonded the same way. It was doing the kind of the same thing, just kind of taking these shows apart. Yeah. But Star Trek was definitely it all those years ago. It was, you know, back when, back when you were college students and nothing mattered, you know, like you could just, you had ample energy. You know, if you slept for two hours, you were good for the next 48. Yeah. So you could do stupid things like you that. You could burn the candle at both ends, no problem. Definitely, definitely. But we are not here to talk necessarily about all of that. We are here to talk at least a little bit about Star Trek and, of course, mm-hmm. Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So um, as we said earlier, we have just wrapped season two. We just watched um, the Gem Hadar. It was the final episode of season two. And now we're looking ahead to what could potentially be going on season three-wise. Um, so... Of course, we've seen all the characters, their different developments and so forth. But, David, has there been any particular character that's been a standout for you consistently from season one to, to now, to the end of season two? Oh, man. Um, I would say all of them have been consistent from how they were in the first season. But I would again say Quark always steals the show when he's on screen. I mean, Armin Shimmerman, I think, just kills it in the character. Uh, he knows how to make Quark... Just you know, just that that what he's 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 greedy. He's he's uh, you know he him and Odo are always going at it. You know, it, he's probably the the one character that um, he, whenever he's on screen, you know, you got some comic comedy gold, uh, even if it's a brief moment. And the episodes that give him prominence uh, usually are are some good ones. Uh, the fact that the Nagus came back this season, I was glad to see that. Um, 
you know, with, um, uh, Wallace Shawn as as the Nagus was is he's perfect in that role, and to see the the growth of the Ferengi culture this season uh, with the fe- female Ferengi character in that one episode uh, was great. Uh, we got to see more of Odo, and especially the Odo and uh, Cisco good cop bad cop, which was great. That was that was hilarious. Uh, Dr. Bashir is still his kind of annoying know-it-all self, but he's matured a little bit. O'Brien and Keiko, their marriage is really starting to gel. Um, yeah, I think everyone... Kira is still one of the best characters. She gets some of the greatest uh, storylines. Uh, and Dax is woefully, criminally under uh, underrepresented. Uh, yeah. Underdeveloped. She just never gets the due she deserves. Uh, hopefully season three will change that. But, yeah. Absolutely. I would agree with that assessment. I mean, I feel like we've gotten a good, a strong showing for all the characters so far, but there can definitely be room for improvement. Um, I'm still kind of waiting for Cisco the way I like him to show up. So I know, I know that it's coming, but this is, it's fun for me in the sense that like now I get to like pay attention and try to pinpoint exactly when that moment occurs, you know? And so that's what I'm trying to do is figure out when he, you know, yeah, becomes that character, the one, the reason he's my favorite captain. So that's what I'm right. looking forward to. Um, Lynn, you hadn't watched much of Deep Space Nine, right? No, not, you know, like from episode one and then on. I've gotten, you know, episode here, episode there. Typically when you're like, oh, watch that episode. It's really, really good. And then I I will watch it, but <laughs> I haven't followed it enough within each season so you can say season two season three this episode i'm not i'm not gonna have any idea where it falls in the series yeah see david i don't beat up on everybody i try to (laughs) let people get there gradually i keep it real like if i don't know i'm not gonna pretend i know what i'm talking about you know (laughs) Absolutely. absolutely well what about same question, but I guess now the question would be like, are there any characters in general that kind of disappoint you with what you've seen so far? And this can work for really kind of any of the treks. Like, is there a character that kind of stands out in your mind as one that perhaps people hype up more that to you doesn't seem to shine as bright as it does for other people? So you're talking just broadly about Star Trek, like TNG and yeah, Voyager. Yeah, all of them. Yeah, any of them that gotcha. you've watched that you that you know the characters of, and they're like, and everybody's like, oh, this one's so great, this is so whomever, and to you, they're like, uh, not so much. Um, I you know I would personally say that I don't, I don't, I guess I haven't really interacted enough with people who are Star Trek fans to hear strong reactions either way, like this character is so great or otherwise. I guess I would just say that I know that TNG certainly has a more cultural relevance uh, in some ways. Uh, I would just, I was thinking before we recorded, one of the things that I think Deep Space Nine misses compared to TNG is the kind of memeable moments, if you know what I mean. Like the Picard facepalm or the Picard with his handout when he was, he's recording Shakespeare. Uh, there are moments from TNG that I think have come part of the cultural zeitgeist, and I don't feel that as much from D, uh, from D Space Nine. Not because I don't think it's not there. I just think that because it's not as culturally relevant, we haven't seen that really come into the cultural zeitgeist. Um, if I'm going to talk about one character that I feel like I've been disappointed by, you and I have already talked about Vedic Barile being a, you know, kind of unfortunate character. I don't feel like he makes 
sense in some ways for me. I feel like he's the one that chases after Kira, but in a way that seems strange. I don't know if it makes sense for me. Um, it, uh, I mean, he's, they could make it work if they really work on it, but they're going to have to really work on Vedic Burrell in particular because I feel like Kira, we know who she is, but if we're going to make him be a great partner for her, he's the character that really needs a lot of work done. Other than that, um, I don't. I mean, I don't know Voyager very well, so I couldn't talk to Voyager at all. Um, but um, I don't think there's any character that I would say stands out as particularly bad. Um, if, you, if they're bad, it's usually a villain character. <laughs> you know? If there's a villain character out there, I feel like T, uh, or Star Trek in general usually makes their villains stand out. Uh, you know, Wynn, for example, we love to hate her. Q, we love to hate him. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like uh, Deep Space Nine is, is following in that tradition from TNG, in my experience. Okay. How about you? I think that's fair. I mean, I mean, you're the Star Trek guy. Is there a character you uh, feel gets too much love, or? Uh, I always feel like Neelix gets too much love, but that's oh, a Voyager, God. a Voyager problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Neelix, <laughs> Neelix is always going to be the one that catches my eye or the most. I mean, now in regards to like Deep Space Nine, I, I've, I've never liked Vedic Barile. I just feel like he was, he didn't fit. He did not fit in with the. Uh, feel of the rest of the characters on the show. He would have fit in more with Next Generation. Um, but then he also... There wouldn't have been an, a lot of conflict with him there either. So I can kind of see why, you know, they had to kind of move him out and put Kai Wen in because she is definitely a great, you know, antagonist for Cisco. Um, right. But overall, in, in all of Trek, there is no character that gets my ire more than Neelix. He makes no sense. <laughs> he is creepy. a racist, in my opinion. And yes, he's ultimately <laughs> he's creepy. He's got some definitely some definite, you know, creepy pedophile vibes. And hey, to people who listen, if you love that character, hey, more power to you. I'm just saying, <laughs> for me, it's a no. Well, I just so Lynn, one thing I love about Perry is like um there are times when characters like Q in particular come on and and Perry's response is like, I hate this character. And it's like, but yes, Perry, it. that's exactly what the writers wanted. They will they wanted you to hate that character. And Perry just jumps in both feet like he's there for it. Uh, yeah. Hey. Like, if you don't like, you're not supposed to like a character and Perry doesn't like the character. <laughs> but there's a difference yes, that's right. between a character like Neelix that you aren't supposed to dislike and a Q character ah, yes. that you are supposed to dislike and they do it very well. I love Q, yes, gotcha. but I hate him. <laughs> I just right. Yeah, I love yeah. to hate. Yeah, him. I just don't I like. I love. <laughs> I love to hate Kai Win Neelix. Yeah. Like they tried so hard to make him kind of like they this tried to make lovable, him lovable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like a little almost like he's the he's the ship's teddy bear. Teddy thing. bear. Yeah, right. <laughs> but he comes off to me as just like she said. He's he's creepy. Um, he's definitely racist and um he makes no sense so just to give you a quick little background david neelix is the character that when voyager gets flung across the galaxy to the other end of the galaxy mm -hmm. he's the right. alien that's one of the first aliens they run into right and they okay. decide of all people he's the one that's going to prepare their food <laughs> now 
I'm not saying that his knowledge of the region and where to find foodstuffs would not be valuable, but to then let him also be the one to prepare that food. And keep in mind, he's now feeding all of these aliens he's never encountered before. Not just humans, but Vulcans, Bolians, Tellarites, everybody. And it's consistently right. bad. Yes, and it's they just keep letting years. him do it. The food it. is bad. Interesting. Yeah, the food, like, everybody well, that, complains about the food, and yet they just keep letting him do it. And I'm like, he's wasting resources. Right. They didn't give him the Betty Crocker cookbook. They didn't give him anything <laughs> to make it better. Well, I guess, I mean, it's the question I'm sure they answer on, on Voyager, but, you know, why do they need a cook at all? Is it because, you know, they're in a foreign galaxy, yeah. and so they can't get their replicators, or not replicators, mm-hmm. yeah, replicators, yeah. Uh, properly stocked? Okay. Yeah. So it's basically yeah. explained that energy is at a premium, and mm-hmm. they're trying to find different ways to conserve. So the thought is, by having him prepare meals for them, they use up less energy on replicators and mm-hmm. so forth. So then they can, right. they can, you know, make their rations last longer. They've got like the that. hydroponics gotcha. bay. They can yeah. drop down on planets and, you know, grab some, you know, I'm losing but, words because I'm drinking. But yes, ed- food, but the, <laughs> food things. <laughs> and he can make it. But the food is consistently bad. But the food is consistently bad. They complain every time. For seven years, he bad. could not figure it out. Wow. Right. Um, he had success with like some really exotic things, but like simple stuff, he just couldn't make it work. And then his unrelenting assault on the Vulcan security officer Tuvok, it just to me it just screamed racism. It's like, you, why won't you leave him alone? Like we we know that Vulcans they there's a, their whole thing is about controlling their emotions, and yet he was like hell bent on making this character laugh or smile, or tell a joke. And I'm like, that's that's not what he's supposed to do. That's right. not what he's about. You can accept all these other cultures and their quirks and qualms and whatever else, but this one guy, he's basically saying, no, screw that guy. I'm going to make you do the thing that you have trained your entire life not to do. Right. Right. For no gotcha. reason. Yeah. For no reason, for <laughs> other than his own delight and amusement. I was just, it bothered me. And even in the very and, beginning, I could understand it, right? Because it's like he doesn't understand the Vulcan culture because he's from the Delta Quadrant. He doesn't get that part, right? So, mm-hmm. of course, he's going to try to make him laugh, make him smile, like people do when they go visit England and they start messing with the guards. That's totally disrespectful, right? But you're not from there, so you yeah. don't get it. But right. after so many years you would think that Neelix would eventually go, oh, I'm totally disrespecting this guy. I need to leave him alone. And he's probably yeah. going to kill the, me in my the other char- Yeah. Yeah, and if the other characters don't ever, you know, nudge him in the ribs yeah. and say, hey, cut it out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think some of them get a kick yeah. out of it, and that is also wrong. <laughs> that is also wrong. <laughs> yep, yep. But, of course, he just, like I said, he never stopped. And then there was his whole relationship with the two-year-old. Mm-hmm. Wait, she wasn't even two. She was one at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the other thing too. That he he found there's this race that only lives for nine years. The Ocampa. And he, uh, yeah, and he essentially kidnaps one of them mm-hmm. and right. makes it his girlfriend. Makes her his girlfriend. And yeah, she's like two years old. She, she's she's never been away from her family or whatever else. And he's just like all wrapped up in trying to like control her and everything else. And it was just, <sighs> she hadn't even reached full maturity yet. And he was like, just again, very predator ish. 
Yeah. You know, but you know that's that was the thing about Trek in the '90s. It didn't handle relationships well. Mm-hmm. You know, so <laughs> yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. And speaking of relationships, we got to see a little bit of a blossoming romance between some characters here on Deep Space Nine. We got to see Cisco in Second Sight, and then of course we get to see Kira and Vedic Barile, and they're right. you know going down that path. And uh, we got to see the relationship of uh, Miles O'Brien and Keiko kind of coming into that full married mode here, a successful, yeah. successful relationship, married with a kid and, yeah. and juggling careers and all the rest of it. Yeah, so. I would agree. Yeah, the second side episode, I believe, if I remember correctly, that's the one where uh, Cisco is meeting the woman who turns out to be like the persona of the woman when she's like unconscious, right? Yes. Uh, she has the red dress and everything, but it turns out she's already married to the scientist dude, and mm-hmm. like the scientist dude at the end decides he's gonna jump into a sun, jump into it, jump <laughs> into a, a dead star to restart it to make it. Oh, a that's sun. what it was. Doctor right. Professor Gideon Sayatek and his wife's name yeah. was Nadell, but her physical persona projection was Fena. And that would right. be, and her species was Halanin. Yes. And that was the. I was like, great, she yes. was Halanin, huh? Yes, that was that <laughs> was their ability. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely... I thought that was a good episode that got a little cut short by like they had to fit the end of the episode in, so they just kind of wrapped up in a bow real fast. If I remember mm-hmm. my opinion of that episode correctly, not a bad one, but could have used a little work tweaking, uh, in my opinion, but. Yeah, yeah. We had we had our burdening, blossoming relationships. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We had a little uh, fascination with the Halanans for a while there. You know that Mm -hmm. that I don't even know what you call that as a spectral projection, Mm -hmm. astral projection, astral projection, whatever. Yeah, Yeah, something along those lines. What a always found that a very interesting, unique characteristic to give. A species like of all the things that we've seen them do with you know aliens in, in Trek, I think that was probably one of the more unique ideas that was ever mm-hmm. put out there. You know, like I mean, extra hearing or even even just other little like telepathic things. I feel like that's like a common trope in science fiction, but to go right. that route where she has a full on out of body physical experience and then persona with it yeah i thought that was, was a different person cool. yeah, yeah different person entirely who didn't right. seem to know anything about the other one either right so yeah, yeah just um great stuff what are some other aliens that stand out to you guys now that we're talking about it some other aliens that stand out to you guys in the panels of star trek that seem to be pretty unique one-offs that we've encountered one-offs um or not necessarily like one-offs but just that you thought were unique not going through the different shows like the Klingons were in like all like a bunch of different shows you mean no, no, no. I mean if yeah if you if, if you found the Klingons to be unique sure oh, but I'm just no. saying like are there is there any alien race that kind of stood out to you the most that as you encountered it through watching or whatever I don't know that I guess I would say the Vidians from Voyager stood out pretty good they weren't necessarily one-offs but we didn't see them in any, any other series, right? No, we did not see the Vidians in any other yeah. series. They were just in Voyager. Mm-hmm. Um, the Vidians, David, were a species that they were ravaged by a disease mm-hmm. that was causing okay. their bodies to basically eat themselves alive. 
And so Ooh. their way of combating this disease was they roamed through the roamed through space and they would harvest organs from any other species because they, they were came able across. to adapt them to what they needed for their own bodies. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That sounds actually fascinating. Mm-hmm. I would love to see those episodes. Yeah. They actually sound really interesting. They were really I good. will point you in the direction, my friend. I will tell you what to, <laughs> okay. which ones to watch. They were. I remember watching them the first time. Pretty disturbing. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 Sorry, we need to cannibalize your body, but not like in the eat it kind of way. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. They did. They the vegans did some pretty gruesome things in their pursuit. But of, they were so smart, and it's almost like yeah. if you yeah. think about a lot of the. Yes, they would be like a lot of the serial killers that we actually have in our real life, how a lot of them are genius. Right. Like they've got this super high IQ, yeah. but they're right. They've got something else like switched on that makes them do bad things. Yeah. Except in the Vidians right. case, they're not switched on by something evil. They're switched on by survival and they're willing to do right. terrible stuff to other people in order to continue their civilization and to yeah. thrive and survive. Yeah. So oh, wow. I, I thought yeah. they were really no, that definitely good. sounds like a great mm-hmm. that's a great science fiction uh, idea. Yeah. yeah, that sounds really it was really a, good. It was a terrifying science yes, fiction. Yes, that's idea. I guess that's why I yeah. wrote up the serial killers. I'm like, oh my god, this is so scary. They are super smart. <laughs> but they got a race of serial killers. Uh, I would be whole, yeah. most afraid of them, of them because it is survival for them. So they're not gonna stop. Yeah. You can't stop them. They want to live. That's their survival right. instinct. So yep, that made it even scarier. <laughs> wow well i was i was just gonna say that you know the cardassians this season we got to learn more about them but i feel like that's not near as interesting as, as, as all <laughs> <Cardassians> that <laughs> <are awesome>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i i do like that we got more of cardassians this season uh here in deep space nine that was a improvement i would say in some ways uh from the from, I mean, in the first season i come i said you know we didn't really get much of them they were there the Cardassians were there but knowing who they were and their their culture and the fact that they had been the previous oppressors of the Bajorans didn't feel like um they 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 had, they had retreated to the background and this season we see them starting to make maneuvers again to come back into the forefront and actually be more villainous and then to find the Dominion being our threat from the Gamma Quadrant that's also great. Uh, this last episode we just had uh, was a great introduction to them as as, uh, as like physically actually meeting them, not just hearing about them. They were a great threat to meet for the first time. Um, any specific race though? I mean, I don't, I don't know. D Space Nine and Mike's in my memory at the moment. I don't feel like we've really met any particular alien race quite like like you and TNG. You know, they were going from you know, one place to another. Mm-hmm. And I imagine Voyager is kind of doing the same thing. People come to the station every now and then, but I don't remember any standing out in my mind this season. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not quite yet. Yes, that's true. I mean, that's the, that's kind of the main takeaway of Deep Space Nine, why it's so different from the other shows. They're not traveling and meeting other races. They, they are staying put and the races have to come to them. And of course it's the exploration through the wormhole to the Gamma Quadrant. What are they going to find? You know, um, and then Voyager is definitely a return more to the TNG. You know, they're out there in deep space. Mm-hmm. They're meeting new aliens and cultures and stuff like that. So, yeah, you're going to run into a lot of different alien species that way, of course. Um, yeah. uh, I think that you're right, though. For me, I think the Cardassians are probably one of the more interesting species that we've come across. I love 
Cardassian architecture. I, I just I like the way that it looks. Um, it's not even about necessarily functionality. It's that kind of that darkness that they then intersperse with little bits of very ornate stylings and architecture that I really love. Like, you know, you walk through their corridors and everything and it's all dark grays and blacks and everything else, but then you'll turn a corner and there's a very bright, very colorful panel. Right. Right. And then you'll see a close up of something else that again, very bright, very colorful, very intricately designed stuff. And I don't feel like any other species or any race that we've seen so far does that. And I always really enjoyed that. And I like I liked even the small things like if you notice when they're walking through the station and they go through doors, they always have to pick their feet up a little bit higher because the doors all have that bottom lip on them. So right. they have to clear the door every time. No one else yeah. does that. All the Federation right. stuff, it's a seamless transition from room to room. Um, right. All in Voyager, it's like that. Seamless transitions. It's only there that you see them having to kind of remind themselves. It's like a daily... Every yeah, every aspect reminder that you are not on a Federation station, you're not a Federation right. ship. It's different. Right. So I really like that. I really like that. Right. When it comes to terrifying aliens, though, um, yeah, the Vidians kind of win, and then <laughs> there's the ones from Next Generation, the the ones that were from like the other dimension that picked up Riker and some others while they yeah. were sleeping and was experimenting yeah. on them and all that. And we never really saw what all happened to them afterwards. That? Like that's what, that's what I was saying. We don't know. They were just oh, like yeah. this oh, random group okay. of aliens that were experimenting on them. Like, and that creeped me out. Cause it's like, we never found out like, yeah, what Riker was always was. tired because mm-hmm. he, when he was asleep, he'd be kidnapped and taken to another dimension. They would experiment on him and he'd wake up in the morning. He hadn't had any rest. And he's always exhausted. And then, who else does it happen to? Was it just him, or no, I think it happens to someone else? They, it? they did it to a smattering of other officers, but Worf was the other one. His arm had been um, removed and then reattached. Oh, right. Man. Yeah. I think the other that other race we just talked about, they win, but yeah, that... that the, the, the other dimension people had a had a second place finish, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. So like stuff like that always just creeps me out when it's an unknown alien race and we don't we don't know who's doing what or any of that stuff like that stuff creeps me out. So, Did every yeah, series have like a right. sleep episode where something happened while the crew was sleeping or something crept into their dreams or did every series have that? Because I know Voyager um, had it. I know TNG yeah, Voyager. had it with Riker. Yeah, Void- or- nothing in deep space I yet. Yeah, original series had. Let's see, what was the episode I'm thinking about? Can, I'm so sorry. I'm gonna let's look see. it up. So yeah, that's fine. <laughs> so no, let's see. Next generation did it a couple of times, where the crew had fallen asleep, only to be awoken later on and to realize a certain amount of time had passed and there was something wrong. Right. And then there was the ones where certain people, while they were sleeping, were abducted. They did that a couple of times. Happened to Riker. Happened to Picard. Picard was a different episode, though. Um, so, yeah, there was that. Voyager does. We yeah, everybody falls asleep. Yeah. yeah. It was like um, when they were having dreams. But the aliens in yeah. their dreams, they all kept having a dream about the same alien. Right. Different scenarios. But Deep Space but, yeah. Nine... I don't think so. I think the closest that Deep Space Nine gets is, of course, move along home. 
where our <laughs> where our senior officers fall asleep and wake up and find themselves in the in the game world of the Wadi people from the uh, from the Gamma Quadrant. What do I have to do to have never have that episode <laughs> mentioned again? <laughs> Lynn, I hate that episode. I felt like I wasted 42 minutes of my life when I watched that episode. Alamorane. Shut up! <laughs> at least it gives you an appreciation for other things. Uh, so you're you? saying we have to hit rock bottom mm-hmm. to appreciate the, whatever the not rock bottom is? You don't is. have to, but it can, it can help. <laughs> We gotta break yeah. you down to build you up. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, that episode. Gee whiz. Ugh. You had to say it, Perry. Yes, I you did. You had to bring it up. Yes, I did. It was funny because I was listening to the, our recap of season one and I was saying how I don't want to talk about the episode ever again. We got through a whole season of it. I well, I imagine actually we probably did bring it up once or twice now that I'm thinking about it here in season two. Saying, yeah, how bad it was. But anyway, yeah, that's true though. You're right. There was some yep. They were kidnapped in their sleep. Cisco wakes up, or or yeah, he wakes up, doesn't he, at the beginning of that episode? And yeah, uh, Cisco, they're in this maze. Right. Cisco goes to bed, and then he wakes up, and right. he's on the floor in the game. Right. Yeah. So yeah, Deep Space Nine has done it. Hopefully, they'll have another example to to bolster their version of that story, so we don't have to bring up bring along home ever again. But. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> Well, no, yeah. we will we will be talking about it all the way in the final season. <laughs> yeah, as which episode was the worst <laughs> this whole time? It was well, season one, episode nine, or whatever that one is. Was that really yeah. the? Was that? I mean, was that really the worst? Because I mean, to me, the episode with so Rumpel, far, well, to yeah. me, the episode with Rumble Stillskin is is kind of lame. I didn't like that. One. I thought you liked that one. The wishes were horses. It was your daughter. That story about your daughter and I like it for her, but for me, I think it's a lame episode. So, <laughs> so Lynn, just to fill you in, there's an episode called "If Wishes Were Horses," and it's a Deep Space Nine episode. And basically, what happens is the imaginings of our senior officers become real. And so, right. in the opening episode, in the opening of the episode, you have the O'Briens, and you got Miles reading to his daughter Molly, and he's reading the story of Rumpelstiltskin, and he's trying to, you know, it's bedtime story to get her to go to sleep. So, as he's reading the story, um, or after he finishes reading the story, she's supposed to go to bed, and she runs back out after they've said goodnight. She runs back out into the living room, and she's like, "He's in my room," and you're like, "Who? Rumpelstiltskin?" And so they're going to go and take a look. And, of course, he's sitting there on the edge of the bed. Now, why this is funny is because when I watched this episode um, a while back, Sophia was like maybe three years old. And so I had also just read her the story of Rumpelstiltskin, like maybe a couple of nights before. So then we were watching this episode together, and Molly is doing all this, and we're getting to that part where she comes running back out, and she's like, Rumpelstiltskin's in my room, and Sophia comes up to the TV, and she's like, don't worry, Molly, he's not real. And then, of course, the very next scene is Rumpelstiltskin sitting on her bed, and Sophia just freaked out. She was like, what? Like, just her whole eyes left, you know, and she was just so shocked and, like, elated and everything else, thinking that he was real, because now he was on TV. And it was just, it was a great moment. It's one of those, I I feel like I'll always remember. I wish I had recorded it. It was just that perfect childhood 
little moment, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I tell that story often. But as much as I love that moment, the episode itself was lousy. It just, <laughs> it is. That one is lousy because they end it with, uh, they're actually turned out to be, like, alien beings that have personified into the, like, dreams of our characters. And they insinuate the one who turned into the baseball uh, player insinuates that they'll be back or something in the future. But uh, Perry, you tell me that that doesn't happen. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not surprised. Yeah. That's one of those, yeah, again, that's one of those one-offs off. that they just don't. Yeah. Follow up on. Yeah. 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 Well, so now let's turn our attention to our respective captains, David, since you have just finished or had finished uh, next generation, um, that would be Picard for you. I will, of course, take Captain Cisco, and Lynn, as our resident expert, will be um, representing Captain Janeway for us. And Great. what I would like, if you don't mind, is let's first just start with what are your favorite attributes of these particular captains? Uh, who should I go first? Because Picard, I guess, is the first of the three. I, yeah. I would say do okay. a coin toss, sure. but y'all can't see me, so. <laughs> <laughs> but sure, go yes. ahead. Yes. Yeah, Picard, I, I would say Picard's, um, because he's the most well-known, I imagine that a lot of people will, will have things to say. But, you know, what's great about Picard, uh, he is, he's kind of the, well, I mean, he is the center of TNG. Uh, all the other characters, because he's the captain, revolve around him. And so that's one of the reasons why I like TNG and why I think sometimes Deep Space Nine sometimes has struggled to kind of capture the magic that TNG got. Not because Deep Space Nine is a bad show, but because they're trying a different formula and that requires different things to make it work. Uh, and so for TNG to have Picard as this, you know, strong, authoritative figure, he makes decisions um, in clear uh quick fashion he doesn't rush things but he doesn't what lollygag um his like being awkward around kids is actually more a manifestation of like he's kind of a paternal figure to adults mm-hmm. he's not really a paternal figure to children or actually he is a paternal figure to children but like it puts it so up front and the way you, you know, interact with kids is just different that for him it, he, he feels awkward about it um, but he's got, you know, uh, he likes playing his flute. Um, he really loves archaeology. He, he, he loves it so much that uh, it is kind of his second career. But there's, you know, the one episode where his former professor comes back and uh, says, come with me, you know, leave your uh, career at Starfleet and come join me. And Picard is like, I don't regret doing Starfleet. You know, archaeology is something I love, but it's certainly seconded my loves to being in Starfleet. Um Picard had been previously a captain um, and had been in a battle with the Ferengi, and that creates certain things for him. You know, there's certain storylines there. So Picard, I feel like, is is kind of maybe the standard in some ways mm-hmm. for what we want from a captain. And, uh, you know, as someone who hasn't really watched much of Star Trek besides TNG and now Deep Space Nine, um, I imagine people will have a lot of comments on that, but I feel like that's a, probably a fair statement. It's one of the earliest shows that, you know, Star Trek had, so it helped kind of set the bar for the what the show would or the shows the you know the whole Star Trek universe would be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, that's what I would say about Picard. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Simply because you know, as much as we do give credit to Kirk and you know the original series for getting us to that point of Next Generation, I really feel like the overall success of Next Generation kind of made that show the 
formula for the shows that came after it. So yeah. Picard instead of Kirk kind of became the the baseline for how they wanted to right. build the other captains after that. And right. so you see, I think you, if you watch enough of them, you see little aspects of them in each other. But I definitely think that if you're looking at Picard as your model, there are certainly different there are definitely things about him that you can see in all the other captains that as that came after him especially right yeah and actually i want to quickly say one thing i really like about uh tng is Riker was always a great first officer to him um i love the episodes where Riker has to take charge Mm -hmm. and he is a different captain he does not do things the way picard does it and it actually is great because it usually shows his different style and how his style actually sometimes saves the day whereas you know, like Picard is in danger, not there, not available, and so Riker has to do it. And Riker's way was actually, at least in that episode, is the way to do it. And I liked that. I always liked when Riker stepped up and, and did things. Yeah. So Lynn and I were just talking about first officers, so we're going to be able to get back to this too. But before we do, Lynn, your aspects of Janeway that you like. Yeah, so um, Janeway's definitely my favorite captain. Wouldn't go so far as to say that she's the best captain. I mean, they all have their pluses and minuses, of course. But she was the first captain that I was introduced to when I started watching Star Trek. So she's always going to have that special place in my heart. I grew up with her. Kate Mulgrew's amazing. So, But as far as aspects of the character that I really enjoy... I would say that my favorite has to be the fact that she was able to kind of balance, you know, being compassionate and even maternal at times with also being firm and tough when she needed to be. Not just with people on her own crew, but with these aliens and leaders that she had no prior knowledge about. Yeah, Neelix sometimes would give her the tea, right, before they got there. So she knew who she was about to talk to, but... Other than that, she had to be pretty adaptable, like knowing when to talk, knowing when to fight. Did she ever make mistakes? Of course. And that is probably one of the things I think most people criticize about Janeway is that she had some pretty major screw ups. But again, she was in a situation that was not ideal, that she was not prepared for. And in speaking to that... Another aspect about Janeway that I like is the fact that she didn't really allow her mistakes to hold her down, at least not for long. It would have been super easy for her to fall into a depression and blame herself and, you know, but she couldn't do that. She could not afford to do that. For the most part, she held it together and she kept moving forward. She did not lose sight of the goal, which was to get home, which leads me to yet another facet of Janeway that I liked is that she kept her eye on the prize. There were so many times that they could have stopped and settled down somewhere. Plenty of hospitable aliens that would have welcomed them. And she might have even lost fewer people that way. But the end goal was always get home. We're going to find a way to do it faster than what's expected. Or we're going to die trying. So she she never let go of that um that aspiration. And that was kind of a moral choice too, I think. Um, And she was faced with a lot of really tough moral choices while also wanting to, you know, maintain Starfleet principles 
And of course, she did kind of pick and choose throughout the series when the Starfleet principles served her and when they did not. But um, yeah, I think that just goes back again to trying to find that balance in her. I feel like fairly successfully being able to to do that. So, um, and then of course. I love that she was a capable scientist. I mean, she could geek out with Bellana and the rest of them and hold her own. She wasn't just a leader. She understood that exploratory scientific urge that the crew had, especially being, you know, in the Delta Quadrant. It's she didn't always have tunnel vision on getting home. She understood the the pull to go investigate something wild that popped up on the scanners right sometimes at the detriment of the ship but i feel like probably for the most part in between episodes while not in imminent danger and still trying to make their way home they probably had a pretty good time exploring that uncharted part of space so yeah that's all i got at the moment okay so for me with captain cisco what I enjoy the most about him is the fact that he is way more hands-on. Um, he definitely wants to like be a part of what's going on with his crew. He tries to understand them. He tries to relate to them, talk to them on a you know one-to-one level instead of trying to be like lording over them in a way. Like right. Picard, to me, he always was so distant with them. And we see that in things like, you know, when they have their poker right. game, for example. Right. Picard never joined until like the tail end, you know. And he remarks that it was something that he wishes that he could have done. And um he remarks that it was something that he wishes that he could have done, but for whatever reason right. um didn't. Yeah, Picard um his, his standoffishness in some ways kind of encapsulates the idea of what a, you know, a captain will be in the sense of, you know, you don't want to be too close to your, your men. Let me put it this way. There's an episode of the show Band of Brothers. I love Band of Brothers. Great show. But in one of the episodes, they I think it's the second one, they introduce one of the new characters, and who's, the name I can't remember at the moment, but he's the guy who has the blonde hair. He's famous actor he's been in a lot of stuff but anyway he um he's being reprimanded by captain winters because he's he is playing poker with his his men he is uh he likes being with his men he feels like he earns their respect and and kind of their love you know they they they, they become close because of their relationship and uh in that in that conversation he's you know being reprimanded for it and he's kind of arguing for that i like being close to my men and being close with them the counter argument being that if you're too close to your men, you can't make hard decisions. Uh, they may not actually trust you to make decisions. They may not, you know, respect you enough to let you actually take charge. Um, and so Picard definitely personifies that element of things. He's the the guy who, you know, he's he's on top of the. He sits in the captain's chair, and don't you dare ever sit there yourself. You know, that's not your seat. Um, and it's always funny, you know, when episodes happen where someone does that. You know, like, you know, Q does it in the first episode, I believe, and you know, it it just shows how you know annoying Q is, for example. Uh, but then I think you know Wesley does it at one point. I think that was also early on. Um, but yeah, Picard Picard really personifies the idea of what a strong, reliable authority figure captain could be and do. And when he does it, he's yeah. usually really successful at it. 
Um, but I, I would also say that also kind of makes Picard a little bit cookie cutter, kind of basic. So if you want to make your characters a little more interesting, like, for example, I haven't been watching Strange New Worlds, but I imagine Christopher Pike reminds us a lot of Picard in some ways, but I imagine they've also given him some quirks to kind of make him different. Does that sound like a fair? I would I would say no. I feel like Pike is more... Um... I think he's, I think he comes okay. off as more compassionate than uh, Picard is. He's not so hardlined. Now, part of that, is, you know, that goes into, of course, Pike's backstory, which, as we already know from what we've seen so far in Strange New Worlds, he is a, a man who knows precisely right. when and how he's going to die. So, with this knowledge, he and and knowing that any alteration of the timeline, him trying to avoid that particular end in any way also makes things exponentially worse. So knowing that he must die and he must die in a particular way has right. kind of given him a softer sense. outlook on things. So now he's, he's still very much like, you know, a, a dynamic commanding leader, but he does things much more from a, a more empathetic and compassionate right. standpoint okay. than what yeah. we see of Picard. So um, that yeah, that definitely changes him a bit. Um, Cisco, on the other hand, I feel like Cisco just really has the it's that passionate part. Okay. Like he leads with that on everything, you know, and he he's not afraid. To, it almost seems like when he, especially when he's in situations where he has to make a command decision, it almost feels like everything else drops away for him. And he's thinking of, okay. it's like a one-on-one -on -one instantly when the stakes are high enough. It gotcha. seems like that's how he lasers in his focus, you know? And, um, he doesn't seem like he in any way, um, really deviates from that. And to me, I like that because it's like, it's, I feel like it works because instead of always trying to be so grandiose, the way Picard is, and Picard is always like right. countless billions, this, that, you know, these are the people, you know, I've got a, it's the whole planet. Cisco makes it more to me realistic because he's like, this is my life, my decision. That's my son. I need to make sure I'm doing these things to right. protect this family unit that I have okay. and move forward. Sure. And I think that makes it more relatable for me because I feel like, I guess that's how I feel like I make decisions. It's, I'm basing my decision off of what is the best, you know, what's the most moral decision right. I can make yeah, actually, for I would say that and my um, family. I have seen a glimpse of that. I think it was particularly in the three-parter episode, uh, the Siege episode, right? Beginning the Siege, you know, they know that the Bajoran rebellious group, the Circle, is coming to the station to try and capture it. And he tells all the Federation people, like, you you can go if you need to. Um, I'm staying to protect the station, but you're not going to be held to that. If you need to go, you can. He has a little speech right at the end of that episode. Um, I would, would say, though, that I haven't seen a ton of that more outside of that type of, ep like, that episode in particular. I mean, of course, we've seen Cisco and Jake together. And so I can definitely see him turning that relationship he has with Jake and making it a wider way that he approaches um, the rest of the crew and how they do things. The, the one complaint I have, again, about Deep Space Nine, if I have anything, is that, again, it doesn't feel like our, our crew has quite gelled. Again, comparing it to TNG, TNG had the the easy, you know, they're all Federation, they're all part of the same crew, they're all on the same ship, they're all under the same leadership. 
Whereas Deep Space Nine, that's not true. We got Quark, who's, again, outside of the main crew. We got the Bajoran side of things. We got the Federation side of things, and that makes for a little more awkward joining. Um, but yeah, if, if, if Cisco is the guy who really empathizes with people uh, and does so in a real deep, abiding way, which actually makes sense because, you know, he's got to – he's on the same station. You know, he's kind of stuck in the same place. Right, yeah. He stuck with those people, right? He stuck with those people. He stuck with those aliens. He's yeah, got to yeah. make those decisions work for him as best he can, and you know, and then as we said before, he's got the the long term, you know, that long term job there because the decisions he makes, he's not going to be able to just warp out right. and then, you know, hope for the best. You know, he's got to definitely you know right. make sure that it's yeah. continuously worked on. Yeah, that, that's something that. Um... I, I know it's there because we're only on season two. I feel like you know, I have a lot more opportunities to see that come out. And you're just, you're talking about Cisco as someone who knows him from all seven seasons. And yeah, I think that I could see that the seeds planted, but I haven't seen the plant of that grow to full fruition just yet. So, yeah. No, I'm no, trying, I'm not I'm trying at all, to restrict not at all, myself. Yeah. I'm not trying to give you any spoilers or anything like that, you know. But yeah, you know, um, he's, it's definitely, right. that's, that's what he's about. Um, like I said, he seems to be more the, right. the, he's definitely more of a family man than Picard right. and he leads from that and it's not a bad thing. And that that's one of the things too, that we saw a lot of in shows like this. And what I mean by that is like shows with a militaristic bent at all, um, that, um, the leader was always this very kind of emotionally distant individual and um, having them in any way be positively involved with a family member or just in the family role seemed to be downplayed a lot, you know, and it was often we would see it like they're a fantastic leader, right? They're a fantastic something or another, right? They're the top in their career field. But then their home life is an absolute travesty. Their wife is like threatening to leave them if she hasn't left already. Right. The kids hate them or they have no kids. You know, stuff like that. And so now we see Cisco, who, yes, his his wife has died. He's a widower, but he's not and he's and he's very PTSD for us, especially in the first season. But one thing that always seems to break through that for right. him is his relationship with his son, which is like a shining gold standard that we've seen consistently from season one to season two. Oh, yeah. And I don't think that that's going to be something that changes anytime soon. It's just going to grow and develop right. as as he changes, as Jake grows and matures and changes and I just I think it's great. I love seeing that. I wish more shows would do that. And it's actually something that's missing in all of the newer Trek um, shows. We don't really see that kind of um, family dynamic. You know, there's no father, son, mother, daughter, or just children, really, with parents on Strange New Worlds, um, Prodigy, Discovery, uh, Picard. Well, now that I said now I'm naming them, I just realized <laughs> there is one. Lower decks, the the captain of the ship, her, her daughter is the main character of the Republic, Mariner, and so and she, but she's much older. Like Mariner's right. in her, I'm assuming twenties, 
Right. And then she has her mother, who's the captain of the ship. And so, yeah, it's a much older family dynamic, but still, it's there. But theirs is a a dysfunction that <laughs> is all their own, and obviously right. it's for comedic benefit, of course. But yeah, th- that would be it. That'd be the only other time that we've really seen gotcha. that kind of dynamic. Yeah. So I find that very interesting. You know, that's one thing that I think Janeway and Cisco have in common is both of them were thrown into situations that they weren't necessarily prepared for. You know, Janeway and the Voyager being tossed into the Delta Quadrant was a complete fluke. It was an accident. It was not planned, scheduled, deep space mission, none of that. And then Cisco, you know, he openly admitted in the very first, you know, season, first episode, that he had been exploring, you know, going into civilian service because he was raising his child alone now that his wife had, you know, been killed at Wolf 359. And suddenly they were putting him in charge of this space station on the middle, in, out in the middle of nowhere on the edge of space between two warring factions here, the Bajorans and the Cardassians. And he had to figure out a way to suddenly make that work. Picard is the only captain that we have that is a seasoned captain. He was he was one of the youngest people to be made captain, but then he served in that position for some 20 years before he got to the Enterprise. You know? Um, so yeah, he's very much a seasoned, practiced um, captain. Kirk is another, you know, he was a he was a hot shot, you know, um, up fast riser, up and comer, you know, who got the Enterprise, and then once he got to the Enterprise, he served with distinction for a long time. But yeah, I mean, like his the career path to get there was remarkably short. Um, Pike is mm-hmm. one of the more seasoned ones, but still, he didn't serve as long as Picard did. As captain, at least not what we're told so far. And then if you look at, you know, Discovery and the rest of them, they kind of like popcorn the captain around, you know. So trying to keep that straight for a minute there was is rather difficult. But now, of course, we have Captain Burnham, and we actively watched her go from commander to captain. So we've already seen her career path, but still much shorter than Picard. Picard's turn was. You know, yeah, Picard was already a captain. It was just 20 years before he became captain of the Enterprise. So, and that was a position that he kind of knew he was going to get. He had already served so well and for so long. He knew that was going to happen. Whereas everybody else is kind of like, they were being tested. So. But then, of course, since we ask about attributes that we like, we have to ask, what do you not like? What about your respective favorite captain or whomever do you not like what is something that they do that you're just like oh why she doesn't kick chakotay's butt every time uh, he freaking see i said we were gonna her. get i i hate that she's <laughs> so soft about that but i think it's because mm-hmm. she is limited you know she can't just like send him away and get a new first officer although she could back up like you know and have tuvok or, or somebody like that but she has to try to play nice as best as possible and not either have a mutiny on her hands or have people go, I, I don't want to travel with you anymore. I'm out of here. You're not going to have my help. She needs every single person on her ship. So I do wish she had been harder on certain people at certain times, but I get why she why she wasn't. That's one thing I didn't okay. like about her. So we're going to come back to that first officer because we, we had a, a Riker reference earlier. And... Uh, 
Definitely wanted to get back to that. But uh, before we do, David, what are your what's what's the thing Picard does for you that you're just like, again, I wish that you would just literally do anything else. Uh, it's pretty obvious. It's you know, get together with Doctor Crusher already and like my man. This nonsense. Seven <laughs> seasons of will they or won't they? And then they. And they literally skip forward in time in the last episode, and she is Dr. Picard, or Captain Picard, because she has her own ship, but they're divorced or something, yes. and yet they're still, like, amicable. It's like, dear God, this show did not know what to do with these two. They couldn't ever figure them out. There's even that one episode where they could read each other's Attached. minds. and like Great episode. Yeah. Yes. And then at the end of it, they still... Do- <sighs> I mean... Actually, I like the fact that Deep Space Nine addressed that. You know, Dax talks about how it's really hard for people in the Federation to to have relationships. You know, you're always off on missions. It's dangerous. Um, and then you got Bashir on the other side of that being uh, like, yeah, baby, I love it. You know, I'll be a single bachelor for the rest of my life, and I ain't got a problem with that. Um, but with, uh, with Picard, you know, we got him, you know, he, like he was the ladies' man when he was a young yeah. guy. And... In some ways, you're like, oh, that makes him the, you know, Mr. Alpha male. He's alpha male in every capacity, including the fact that all kinds of women love him. But I think it also undermines him a bit because it means that um, he never learned. You know, he uh, never it, progressed. It, he was Mr. Yeah. Lothario, love him and leave him in his in his younger academy days. But then he never right. learned how to go from there into. Um, um, you know, uh, transition that into a full-on functioning relationship, and he should have been able to do that with with Beverly. Now, of course, I'm right. always of the opinion that that, like you, it, that should have happened a long time ago, and I'm still waiting, and I'm hoping that the final season of Picard gives me what I've been waiting thirty some <laughs> odd years for. You and everybody else, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully we can work that out. Um, right. But I think for me, the thing that Cisco does, and I'm always just like, you know, kind of shaking my head a bit, is, hmm, I was going to say, well, nothing. Um, <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think that, well, well, I guess I would say probably something I guess would be, uh, not necessarily obvious, but I, it would be the whole the way he treats his relationship with the prophets. You know, he's very standoffish about it. He doesn't want to embrace it. It makes him uncomfortable. And to a certain point, I can understand that. You know, he he doesn't want to be viewed as like any kind of deity, god figure, or anything like that to the Bajorans. You know, but I just think how much easier your job could have been if you had embraced that role that they'd already bestowed upon you and that they are pretty much like, we don't care if you are uncomfortable or not, you are still the emissary. So at this point, it's like, accept it, man, embrace it. They are not, they are not going to let you step down from that role. So stop fighting it and now use it to do what you need to do to help the Bajoran people and bring them into the fold. And I feel like a lot of the hangups that they had would have been solved if he had done that. You know, if he had like, if he had stepped into that role more fully, we wouldn't have had Kai win. Yeah, I guess I would just, you know, 
defending Cisco here, and I know it's not my job in this <laughs> in this particular capacity. Uh, but you know, I would say that you know, it's not his religious beliefs. It's not his. He doesn't. I mean, he just he's kind of it's kind of thrust upon him. And so I, it makes total sense. I would say for him to be like, I, I'm, you guys gave me this position, this role. You call me the emissary. I didn't ask to be called that. Um, yes, maybe he should have stepped up more, but I it makes total sense that he would be like, uh, yeah, I'm not gonna make any commitment to anything that I don't know what the heck I'm doing, or, you know, I don't want to do anything that might backfire way too easily because I do something wrong. Oh, I'm not. But yeah, I'm not saying I don't understand. I'm just saying, man, you could have made your job loads easier if you had just, <laughs> you know, just done this embraced thing. it. Right. Yeah, 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 and yeah. Kai Win is going to be interesting going forward. That's oh, for yeah. sure. So. Yeah. <laughs> so before we wrap everything up, we of course have to touch on the first officer issue. <laughs> okay. So as we, you know, as we've said, um, I think we all have agreed. Riker is the best first officer. Sure, yeah. um, this is not including Spock because Spock is just, he's a gold standard that I don't think anybody really needs to approach. But Riker is definitely in a class of his own. Mm -hmm. And on Voyager, um, Chakotay, who was a Maquis captain, served in that first officer capacity for Janeway. Yeah. And he has also caught my ire a couple of times too um so much David I, I, I didn't was, i was surprised uh, you didn't say him instead of neelix earlier the way you go on about chakotay uh, sometimes <laughs> uh, well something that david said when i wanted to bring that back because he was saying that you know date that that Riker does things in his own way mm -hmm. and that we, when yeah. those moments we needed to step up and take charge he did so but he his plan was often different from the cards and i agree however while his plan may be different, the end goal was, the was never different yeah. from what Picard wanted. His style of getting there, his method of getting there may have been different, but they both agreed on the goal. Whereas on Voyager, that is not the case with Chakotay. No, it's like Janeway would tell him specifically, this is what I want done. And he would... Give his opinion, which is fine. This is that's great. You need somebody to counter what you have to say to give you the opportunity to think things through, see things from a different lens. But she's like, okay, heard, heard what you had to say. I still want to do it this way. And he's like, well, I guess so. You're the captain, but let me tell you a story about some animals real quick. And then he'd tell her oh some story, <laughs> and then she'd be like, oh my God. great story, bro. Still want to do it this way. And then the moment she was incapacitated, he's like, we're doing it my way now, because this, this bitch right. is dead, you right. know, or this this bitch and I might, might not come back. So while she's out, let me do what I got to do. Right. And And he did that more than a couple of times. And yeah. that always irritated was, me. Like, that's a negative aspect about yes. Janeway is that I I understand why she couldn't necessarily discipline everybody who went against her orders because she needed every single body that was an ally on her ship. But she, right. I just wish she had done more to Chakotay. Like, she never really came down on him hard for it. I'm not saying throw him in the brig. I'm saying... Come down I on am. him. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would have been nice, but <laughs> I think am. of all the Maquis <laughs> that are like, we just waiting for a reason to, like, you know, rise up yeah. against Janeway, right? But um, 
She just <laughs> never really came down on him hard. I never saw her lose her temper on him because I would have. The yeah. things he did, I would have totally lost it on him, you know, a time or he two. Was... Or I would have been like, you see that? You see that? Yeah. That tall, handsome Vulcan over there? He can take your job. All right. Go behind my back one more time. I got another first officer. I don't need you. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he was right. constantly undermining her. Like yeah. he it's, it's it's like it was his job to figure out what is the exact opposite of what she wants. I'm gonna advocate for that. Right. And he did it all the time. Yeah. Riker, he might have had a dissenting opinion, but one, that was another thing too, he never really vocalized that opinion in front of a bunch of people. Yeah. If him and Picard had a disagreement, they stepped into the ready room, stepped off to the side and had a candid conversation and and worked it out. Yeah. Um Chicote, on the other hand, he didn't it didn't matter. He'd be on the bridge, he could be in the ready room, he could be in the in sick bay, he'd be walking down the hallway. Right. He didn't care. He, he would just be like, Nope, I don't up. agree. Right, I don't agree. I don't like this. I don't like you doing that. I don't you know, like that was always his thing. Well, and it just bothered me yeah. so much. Well, it's like even and even when they did it in private, it would always be that he was giving her the silent treatment and she'd have to pull it out and what is it, Chicote? What's bothering you? What's wrong? And he's like his mouth breathing, right? Yes. Well, the incessant well, mouth breathing. Well, um, you know, I um, nothing. What is it, Chakotay? Nothing, yeah. Chakotay. And he's like, I, I just don't think that we should do it that way because let me tell you about this animal story I have here. And he always had a freaking story about some animals to try to teach Jamie. Janeway why she was wrong. And it's like, grow up, get to the point. What are we saying here? Yeah. David, yeah. this man threw a punch. One time, <laughs> and he was heavy breathing for the next fifteen minutes of the scene. He was. I mean, I'm not kidding. Here drinking tea, stood up, punched the dude, and was like, "Does anybody else have and a problem?" And it was a sucker punch. It was a sucker punch. He didn't the guy, have a big it wasn't like the guy was nothing, ready, you know? <laughs> right? It wasn't like the guy was ready for him, ready like that. He just like they were sitting at the table, and then boom, he just reached right across and just popped. Didn't this even dude. stand up and all it, the way. Right. And then, and then after that, we had to listen to this heavy panting. Like he just ran a couple laps around the ship first before he came in and clocked this guy. And it just, right. and then that became like his thing. Whenever he was really worked up, there was hard. a sudden. It's <sighs> <sighs> like, oh my god! Like, what are you doing? It's it's, it's like it was... an actor trying to show that they're so angry, you know, and that they're, oh, I'm so upset right now. It's like, dude, you oh. gotta be better oh, wow. than that. Stop breathing so heavily. <laughs> show us with your eyes oh, that you're angry. Um, but yeah, yeah. But I yeah. think he also just and, maybe had like a sinus issue and he breathed through his mouth. But um, <laughs> yeah, didn't like Chakotay for for a few reasons. And then another one. And then I'll, I'm sorry, I, I'm talking too much. Um, another yeah. reason why I didn't like Chakotay is because I feel like, and it's not Chakotay himself. I guess this is, it's the writing. But I just feel like the whole Maquis versus Starfleet thing should have gone on a lot longer. Like, they got integrated into the uh, crew way too fast. You know, it's like, let this last, like, a season, a season and a half, two seasons, where Janeway's really trying to get these guys integrated into the crew, and it's not working for one reason or another. So... Yeah, Deep Space Nine touched on the Maquis. Of course, that's where the Maquis really had their first 
outing, I guess. So we got several different episodes with the Maquis here. And we, you know, right. we talked about that as well, that the development of that particular storyline should have been more, should have been more than what we get mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. He conformed yeah. way too fast, but then at the same time, always waited until her back was turned to do something. It sounds like a little bitch to me. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah we definitely agree that the Marquis needed more in fact um what did we say david about like what was it the torture thing that they were trying to do with gold ducat um oh right they were uh the vulcan lady was trying to mind meld yeah. him and he was resisting it and he's like uh it takes more with cardassians yeah we actually take this seriously and they're and they're like uh i guess I guess they were kind of getting ready to be more serious yeah. about it uh, when uh, Cisco and the others showed up. Yeah, he was implying that humans yeah. and Vulcans didn't have the stomach to be really physically violent with their yes. with their extracting of information, yeah, interrogation techniques. Yeah, and they were trying to get there, laughing their faces yeah. about it. Like literally, is just yeah, laughing their faces. Yeah. I would have loved to see a darker tone on that too. Yeah. Yeah, I was also going to say, I like the, I mean, I haven't heard, seen Voyager, but I the Maquis episodes on Deep Space Nine so far, and then the Instant Row ones at the very end of uh, TNG, I've already said it many times here, Lynn, I, I really like Instant Row and her character and how the Maquis was brought up there, and the Maquis episodes this season were, were good good ones as well, I would say. Um, but uh, yeah, I know that, I guess the group of them somehow end up in mm-hmm. Voyager. And, yeah, that's that's kind of the premise of how Voyager starts. Right. Is Voyager is sent to track down a group of Maquis. And, and they start out on DS9. Their, yeah, they start on Deep Space Nine, have a quirk scene oh. even, you know, and then they get lost in the Badlands and end up in the Delta Quadrant. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Gotcha. And that's pretty much where that gotcha. show picks off or picks up. But, yeah. Um, We've said that a lot about a lot of things on, on all of these shows, like certain things that could have been like longer in development and also that things could have been like darker, grittier, you know, harder versions than what we got. And I always wonder about that. Like, do you feel like that's legitimately true that these things could have been um, a little bit more graphic or is that more a product of TV that we have now that we watch and wishing that we could go back to those shows and they'd be they'd be better they'd be different i think for voyager certainly it could have been grittier out of all of them i would say voyager i don't i mean but that's also having not watched anything aside from the original series next generation deep space nine and voyager i didn't really watch enterprise too much and or the newer shows so i don't know the story with them but I feel like Voyager definitely had room to be grittier because, again, they are very far away from Federation space. The repairs, you know, might not always be pristine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess the thing that stands out to me as you bring that up um, in TNG, is it the last episode of season one where they got the one guy got the parasite in him and they blow him up? Yeah, and, like it's kind of gra- that's pretty graphic. That was I know the that conspiracy episode, stands episode out as... and it was a fantastic one. And another one that they just kind of yeah. dropped the ball on and we never go back to. Yes, right. Yeah, like that one was like that one was actually going into the horror elements of sci-fi. And yeah, they never really. It's like they dipped their toe in and they jumped back from it. Scared uh, themselves. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's it's one of those episodes where, yeah, man, like, as it was going on, and, like, you realize, like, oh, they got something, they got a parasite in their brain, and, yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, that was actually an interesting episode now that I, um, there's a grittiness, yeah. we're talking about grittiness. But I also say that I think maybe one of the reasons why Star Trek is, you know, a beloved series is because it was able to find that sweet spot of, you know, being, you know, it's sci-fi, it's got some stuff out there, but being overly family-friendly, it, it can really earn a a wide audience um grittiness sometimes Mm -hmm. makes for great storytelling but also can narrow Mm -hmm. your audience down to people who are willing to watch that Mm -hmm. so yeah like lynn i haven't watched the new stuff i don't know how we would compare compare those necessarily i think well yeah no you're you're right go ahead go ahead no No, i was just gonna say i think i kind of misunderstood a little bit the question i was i guess i was talking about more of the aesthetic being gritty but as far as like actual like storylines I would say that there was a missed opportunity with the Vidians, going back to the Vidians with getting a little grittier, a little bit more on the horror side, because we were already a little terrified of them. They're harvesting organs. They're, you know, kidnapping people and cutting off grafts of their skin, et cetera. I mean, I feel like they could have done a lot as far as... Yeah. getting gross so with no, that. <laughs> and I definitely I definitely meant both. Okay. I definitely meant both. Gotcha. Both with the storyline and with the overall aesthetic, you know. Mm-hmm. And I agree. Voyager was probably the one that was best set up to be kind of a darker aesthetic because like you said, they were trying to make their way back home. There was no supply ships or depots or space mm-hmm. stations that were Federation controlled that they could offload people and rotate crews and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So like, you know, Tensions mounting, nerves frayed, you know, lack of materials, all that could have played into a darker version of the show. Right. Um, and then, yeah, then also leaning into some of those darker storylines, the Vidians especially, mm-hmm. um, even when they get to the board, like, I would have loved mm-hmm. to see more of that yeah. um, be, be a bit darker as well. Um, Deep Space Nine definitely pushes the edge. And we're gonna we're gonna be getting into that as we move into season three and and beyond. But even then, there are some things that I feel like they just they had to step back from that ledge, you know. But as we know, a lot of the writers that were on D Space Nine then moved on to shows like Battlestar Galactica and The Expanse, which really didn't have those same kind of restrictions. And we got some phenomenal shows. Battlestar Galactica and The Expanse <laughs> are just they're they're top choice um, sci-fi yeah. shows. And if you haven't watched them, yeah. you should watch them. Absolutely. Mm, the Expanse, Oh, baby. man, The Expanse. Ugh. That one. Yeah. Lynn, have you seen The Expanse? No. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I'm not, not going to be upset. You know, but uh, before you leave here... I'm busy, okay? <laughs> I, yeah, before you leave here. <laughs> maybe showing yeah. you an episode or two just to see if I can get you... Get you hooked. You need to show me at least one episode of all the things I've missed, like Discovery, okay. Orville, every everything you want me to see. Expanse. Show me at least one episode that you think is tip top. Okay, I'm sure it will grab me. Okay, mm-hmm. we can do that. That's that's. Let's see. It's at least five hours of things I think that you should watch. Dude, I'm gonna so. be at my mom's apartment for a week and it is boring as heck. I love my mom, but there's nothing entertaining to do around her or there. Okay. So I will certainly have plenty of time. So you're gonna you're gonna start five shows then all That's what it possible. sounds like. Right. <laughs> give me give me give me two. Give me two. But I can start okay. them. 
and I'll and I'll continue slowly but surely getting through them. Okay. Well, guys, we have really come to the end and then some in this conversation, and I've enjoyed having you guys here, especially you, Lynn, getting to partake, you know, and um, and join us and offer your opinion, of course. Um, but we have to wrap it up. We have to say our goodbyes. So. <laughs> any final thoughts? Any any last things you want people to know about your favorite captains, favorite episodes, anything at all before we wrap it up? I'm looking forward to Worf showing up. Is it season three where he finally shows up on DC? Season Space four. Time? So uh, hold on. Oh, you got, you got some time. Okay. All right. Season four. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. All right. All right. I thought it was season three. Bummer. Okay. Hold on. You, get, you get some other stuff in season three to hold you over, but it's season four. Gotcha. Win. Yeah, no, I just appreciate you guys having me on the show. It was nice chatting with you on a podcast again, Perry. It's been many, many years since we shared a microphone. <laughs> I'm going to get another whiskey. I hope you join me here in a second. <laughs> well, we'll take care of that. And David, it was so nice talking to you. So nice to meet you. You as well. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Well, guys, once again, I enjoyed having you all here, and I hope everyone enjoyed listening to us. Um, as always, you can find us as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, I happen to do it on Spotify. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook, again, as The Fire Caves. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, please feel free to direct them our way, and we'll do our best to answer you. Just be polite, because otherwise we won't answer you at all. We'll blacklist you into oblivion. So, until <laughs> next time, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs>